With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today on the Triple Double Podcast, we are joined by Kyle Haywood, host of the WNBA Nation Podcast. He chats about how the NBA is dealing with the pandemic and which players and teams to look out for for the upcoming season. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at tripledoublepodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Triple Double Podcast. I'm good. I'm joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, Matt? Hey, Justin. Good to talk with you again. How's your weekend going? Good, good. Pretty solid, man. Uh, we have basketball back. The WNBA has started. The NBA has their scrimmages. Um, it almost seems normal, um, so I have to, uh, not too many things to complain about. Totally agree. Nice to see some basketball just on the television again. It's been too long, but it's good to be back. So on today's show, we're going to discuss um, the NBA returning. So we had NBA scrimmages. The season starts July 30th. So we have that to look forward to. We're going to give our impressions of this, the scrimmages, how players look, the presentation. We're going to break down how the bubble has been a success. Uh, no COVID cases so far. Um but uh, we did have one incident with Lou Williams, we'll discuss earlier <laughs> later on, and um, we'll break down um, some of the NBA jersey messages as well. Um, as always, you can get in touch with the show um, through email at triple double podcast at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. Um, just check us out um, on all your streaming platforms. And um, right after our discussion, we have a great interview with Kyle mm-hmm. Haywood. He is the host of WNBA Nation. Um, this is a great podcast for um, all your uh, WNBA needs. He uh, provides a great outlook to the season, just what the league has gone through since the pandemic and also um, what is their next steps um, just as as an organization as well. So it was fun chatting with him. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, um, definitely stay tuned for that. So let's break down these scrimmages, man. We had about a week full of scrimmages. Um, They kind of look like games to me. Um, it's kind of really hard to tell. Um, just the, the only thing that comes to mind is the summer league where, you know, you see the guys wearing um, not the regular uniforms. But it was just fascinating just to watch the scrimmages from, from, a, from, yes, from a presentation standpoint, not seeing commentators there, not seeing fans there, seeing the video screens adapt to every home team. Uh, what was your overall thoughts on just the players, the presentation, et cetera? I really enjoyed it. I I like the vibe of kind of these games, almost like they're in a high school gym or some of the more low-key summer league games that you and I saw last year, like in the main gym, where the noise is kind of lower with the stadium not being completely packed, the Thomas and Mack Center, that is, and, uh, you, you know, fans being very casual about the games. Um, so I, I really like the look and feel, the presentation. You can still hear people cheering and chanting at times, but it's very low key. Uh, There's a couple awkward things like sometimes when a foul is called, it it takes you a little bit longer to realize what happened. 
uh, with the announcers not being directly on the floor. But that was really the main kind of awkward thing. Uh, it seems like the level of effort is is way up considering these are scrimmages. I watched all of the Lakers Orlando scrimmage yesterday and then bits and pieces of a few of the other games. Um, and it, it did seem like the players were trying really hard. Obviously, you don't have quite as many minutes for the main star players, but that's to be expected in a scrimmage. That's And that would that would be the only thing I would say that it was really different feeling in comparison to an NBA game, which I consider pretty high praise considering it's a scrimmage. Did you catch some of the action and what were some of your impressions of that? I did. I caught some of the action, some of the highlights on, on YouTube and stuff. Um, I thought it was cool from a commentary standpoint, hearing different people just because it's, you know, they're over Zoom or Skype. So you can hear kind of different commentators talk about everything um, as compared to the game. You have um, only just your set. I mean, just honestly, you know, with a regular broadcast, you could bring in anybody you want. But it did the way that it was shown the top screen had your multiple commentators via kind of like a zoom square um, on the top of the screen. So that was cool. Um, I like how the video screens adapted to each, you know, home team. Um, That was Mm. cool. I think it's weird not having fans. And honestly, this is a kind of a grand experiment of, you know, basketball. And I think this goes for the WNBA too. What happens where you don't have the six man? Um, That's the fans. Just when a team is down, when you're losing, you know, those fans with certain great home courts, they're not going to be a factor. I mean, home court advantage is irrelevant. So I'm very curious in terms of when we get to the seeding games and other games of consequence, what is going to be kind of the the playing fields between these teams? Is it going to be more of a balance or do you think kind of the top teams are going to be affected? I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Matt? Is, is home court going to be kind of, is is that an overrated thing to even think about during this? Or do you think it could be a factor in terms of like, you have two evenly matched teams. So let's say you have the Lakers and Milwaukee. I mean, there's no home court or even Toronto, for instance. I mean, normally they would have Jurassic park. They have great fans, but now they don't really have that, you know, inherent advantage, I would say, over like a team, I don't know, like I would say Boston or something, right? They have great fans, but I would say Toronto's probably would be louder at the louder home court, but that doesn't matter um, in this scenario. So do you think not having fans there, is that going to be a big factor or do you think it's going to be irrelevant? Uh, overall, in, in terms of the competitive balance, I think it's, I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as to say irrelevant, but I think it's it's less relevant than in other major sports leagues like the NFL, for example, where, you know, by the nature of the sport, you're trying to coordinate a lot of things on the line of scrimmage. Um, So so I think in terms of that, I don't know that it matters so much in terms of like a a defense formation and and um, the fans chanting out defense. But I I do think like we we had talked about a few weeks ago, I do wonder what the if if we're going to feel the same intensity and if the players are going to feel the intensity and kind of the gravity of the moment as we get to the finals and it's still this kind of. I, I said kind of high school gym is what I would compare the atmosphere to with just little cheers here and there. Like, I wonder 
I, I have no doubt they're going to go hard, but I, I wonder if we wouldn't, we just by nature of it not feeling as much of a spectacle to them, eyes on them in person, if it's going to be less intense than it normally would be. As, as someone, as a viewer watching the game, I don't miss the fans at all in the stadium. And that might be, um, huh. you know, we might disagree on that. Uh, we Interesting. feel differently about that. I, I honestly don't, don't miss it that much. I, I kind of like the, um, the kind of very personal atmosphere of being able to, now we're not hearing like feeds of the players talking to each other or anything like that, but you can hear players yelling at each other, like when they're open for a pass or, or things like that, you can hear a little bit better than normal. And I, I kind of like that. And maybe that's just kind of a, nostalgia thing from like summer league and and things like that but i so so i guess i'll I'll end by saying if you look at an mlb game if, if you're watching major league baseball and someone hits a home run to me that is awkward and i miss the fans in that scenario not that i'm a gigantic baseball watcher but when i do see that highlight a huge crack of the bat and then nothing following it. To me, that is that is awkward, and that affects that sport and my mood when I watch it. My mood isn't as affected watching an NBA game and fans not being there. So, so I think of the major sports, the NBA is less impacted, in my opinion. I don't know. Do you have any points there to push back on? That's fascinating because I, I feel that way with the, with the UFC, <laughs> uh, with them not having any fans, um, and you can hear the fighters in the corners, et cetera. I actually enjoy it without fans. So um, I think with the NBA, it's jarring to me without any fans there, just with the momentum and everything going on. I don't think it matters with games of less consequence. So like these scrimmages or even the playing games, but we get into playoff games. That's what's going to be interesting, right? Yes. Yeah. The pressure and everything going on it's you know it's not going to really exist i think it's gonna be really interesting just to see you know free throw percentages just to see you know there's no fans you know booing you when you're at the line um is this going to be players um so it's going to be you know kind of a normal kind of environment even though the pressure is going to be up a ton um i get what you're saying now matt but i think when we get into the more important games, the Eastern Conference Finals, the Western Conference Finals, the NBA Finals, I think it's going to be more of a factor where it's going to be jarring and just, you know, the, the kind of the pageantry and everything going on. I mean, I'm, I am going to miss it from that aspect, but we'll see. I think for now, I agree with you. I don't think if it's, fa- it's a factor, but um, just looking to the more serious games in September, October, I think it's going to be a more of a factor. Yeah, I think along the lines of that point I made about intensity and not being sure of that, to us as the viewer, I mean, I, I certainly would agree it might not feel as much like the playoffs or like the Eastern Conference Finals as as what we're used to seeing. And, and I guarantee it's not going to feel the same for sure. Um, I'm just not totally sold that... Um, you know, have, having this played out on a neutral court, essentially, uh, is is going to be a terrible thing for the overall product. Um, so, so we might miss. So basically, like it doesn't matter whether you are the one or the uh, four seed right now. For example, you know, you are 
neutral court seven game series and nobody has an advantage, which is interesting. I, I think I'm kind of looking at it as the viewer, like I'm, I'm not really going to miss those fans, but, um, but that, that certainly may change. You know, I've, <laughs> as always, I reserve the right to change my mind. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know if you've caught any MLB highlights. I mean, when, when you a agree that it's, it's a little more awkward with no fans in an MLB game. It's I think cause the stadium's bigger. Yes. Um, just, yeah. you know, and the, you know, the NBA, like to, to your point, they're playing in this bubble. You're not playing in an arena. The, the way you look at the, the product when you're watching on TV, you don't see fans. It looks basically like a cross from summer league and like a European soccer game, just because the way the players are sat, they have those nice seats um, yeah. and they're kind of socially distanced. It kind of looks like that um, similar to, you know, a, a soccer match or so um, compared to baseball. I mean, they're playing in these empty stadiums. So it's weird. It's like, it's a ghost town. Um, so it is, it's, I think it's a lot more jarring from a baseball point of view. Um, but I think, I think as we get closer, just what we're used to when we're seeing these big, you know, finals games, I don't think is we're going to really feel it till later um, until we kind of yeah. get used to it. So it, it, it is, it's, it's weird for sure. Um, but I think now in, in basketball, I think creating that environment, I think it's less jarring to the viewer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Um, you know, and, and we'll keep commenting on this as, as we go along, of course, we're going to have plenty of season and playoff analysis. So we'll definitely keep tabs on this and how the mood changes, you know, it's it's kind of goofy right now in scrimmage games. I mean, for those of you that that watched the 76ers this morning, uh, they were doing like choreographed uh, standing up and clapping and cheering when players would make free throws. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a silly atmosphere right now. It's it definitely um, isn't yet even like regular season seriousness. Gotcha. Um, did you have um, any other uh, points to say about this, or did you want to move on to the next topic? Actually, just real quick, just to ask yeah. you your thoughts on the broadcasting so far, if you've seen anything weird with that. I know you're big into uh, the media and the broadcasters. Do you think they're doing okay in the booth, away from the action? I was finding that it, it didn't feel as awkward as I thought it was going to feel. It, it didn't feel as detached as I thought it would. It certainly does feel a little detached. I, I don't think there's any way you could avoid that because it is what it is. But sure. um, were you, um, did you notice anything on as far as that goes? Do you think the teams are doing a pretty good job? Yeah, I didn't really notice too much difference, to be honest. Uh, I mean, a lot of these scrimmages, from what I've seen, the broadcasts are done with their local TV affiliates. So, you know, Fox Sports or NBC Sports. Um, so, you know, it's typical Homerism <laughs> from whatever, you know, broadcast you're listening to. So, you yeah, know, you're listening to, I don't know, the the Lakers. They're going to, you know, worship the ground LeBron walks on. So I, <laughs> I didn't notice anything different from that aspect. So overall, no, I didn't notice anything different or anything jarring um i think as we move forward that they do have silent reporters uh, i know mckee anderson's there i know chris haynes is there they're going to be there throughout the entire duration of the bubble so uh, malika's espn chris haynes is tnt so um they'll be really the only broadcasters there i think i, I know they, they had their team for um tnt 
Um, Kevin Harlan's going to do all the games. I don't know if Kevin Harlan's going to actually be there. I didn't really, they didn't make that clear, so I don't know. Um, but no, so far, I don't really see anything of a difference. Um, and I don't think it's going to factor in too much to, to what's going on. I think the only thing technically is if they're not in the same room. So if Kevin Harlan and that's just hypothetical Chris Weber and Reggie Miller, if they're all not there, that could ruin the flow of here in the game, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I, I think uh, to, to go with what you're saying, I, I think at a certain point in the playoffs, I can't remember if it was right at the start of the playoffs or maybe into the second round, uh, but that's when broadcast teams are going to be on site rather than in the booth. Gotcha. Um, and and I apologize to the listeners. I can't remember exactly when that cutoff date is, but uh, we'll <laughs> report back on that later as we get closer to the playoffs. That's just super weird. Just the second round, like just do it all remotely. I don't think it's a huge difference um, just to go to the second round to the finals, but um, that's how they're doing it. It's just kind of a semantics kind of thing. Um, I guess moving on to the bubble and for the WNBA, which we'll be talking about later with our guests and the NBA, there's been no COVID cases um, so far. Once all the players have gone into the bubble, I have to say that's a massive success. Um, What's interesting is players leaving the bubble. We saw Zion Williamson leave. Um, he's been quarantined. Um, we've seen you know other players enter the bubble, like Russell Westbrook, who tested positive for COVID. He's entered the bubble. Um, so we're going to see players leave just through family emergencies, things, life things that come up. Um, and then we have this Lou Williams situation in which, um, according to a report, he had approval to attend a funeral, but he went to a gentleman's club um, afterwards. <laughs> and I saw on the ESPN scroll, he was looking for food. Um, he was just getting food from there. So um, he went there regardless. So I, I, I think despite his, you know, choice of food options um i guess what are your thoughts <laughs> of players you know kind of getting sick of the isolation and just wanting to leave kind of like a summer camp situation in which you just you're you know you enjoy summer camp but you want to go see the outside world um do you see some players kind of using an excuse like if there's lebron or something or some other star player i don't think lebron would do this but some other player of his stature, you know, just using some excuse. Hey, I have some business ventures to go through. And then they just want to go jet skiing somewhere for a day. Um, what are your thoughts of players doing that? Or do you think everybody will cooperate and stay till October? You know, I, I think it's a huge concern because we're, we're not very far in. We're only at scrimmages right now. And, and already, um, you know, as, as an example, um, like Zion came back, he followed protocol. So he has a four day quarantine, uh, where of course, just like with everyone else, he'll be tested every day to make sure, uh, he stays negative. Uh, Lou Williams is on a 10 day quarantine, uh, since he didn't follow all the guidelines, um, and, and went places that weren't planned. I, th I think it's a bad look. It, it does give me a little pause that, you know, are, are the NBA players going to stay, true to the rules of the bubble? I mean, are we going to see people sneak out? Are we going to see that snitch line that we've been talking about and start, start to blow up? Uh, but, you know, it's, it's early, so we'll see if more cases like this pop up. But, I mean, Lou Williams is a veteran NBA player. 
Uh, so, you know, it's not like someone making a rookie mistake. And yes, this is unfamiliar territory, but, uh, you know, this, this is a guy on a contending team. Um, and yes, it's early. Yes, it's probably not going to affect their playoff seating in any way. Uh, but overall, I, I just think it's kind of a bad look. And it does make me question, like, how much, um, you know, penetration into this bubble are we going to have? Are people um, going to be able to sneak in that are, you know, maybe like friends that weren't previously authorized, friends in the area or something? Um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I wanted to add, though, like just to kind of end my statement here on a positive note, that there were over 4,000 athletes and staff tested between, I believe it was NHL, MLS, and uh, NBA, over 4,000 players and staff tested and only two positive cases of coronavirus. So it's not only wow. the NBA that's having success, but it's it's sports across the board at the moment. And I'm not sure what um, uh, MLB's numbers are right now, but I think they are also doing very well in, in that they are playing games and uh, able to proceed. Um, I mean, other than the stadiums being empty, <laughs> proceed as normal. So it's it's been very successful to bring sports back, which for me, makes me feel very positive. Hopefully, hopefully we all can hope where things are headed for this country at, at large. And I think that's one of the nice things about sports being back. So anyway, I'm getting sidetracked, but um, definitely give me your thoughts on the bubble and how that's going. And are are you similarly concerned as as I am a little bit here about players being responsible with the guidelines? Or do you think this is just kind of outlier story non-story really so i think it's a story I, I understand from your perspective why you can be concerned however i'm going to give you a case how to, to not be concerned because for instance i don't know march and and the, the stuff i follow which you know i i do watch pro wrestling here come the judgments judge where you may but um with wwe and some other wrestling promotions, they have put very laxed and questionable COVID protocols. And from a multi, I would say, million-dollar organization with the WWE, and I go um, All Elite Wrestling too, they their protocols have been mediocre to bad. Um, mm. WWE, both companies are in Florida also. And so with the WWE, at first, from what we understand and the information that's out there, they were operating from a protocol of temperature checks, changing the rings, um, cleaning the ropes, and I believe testing everybody that got there. Then, um, as the months go on, they got very laxed. Um, they started not doing COVID testing. I think as mm -hmm. much they started not. Um, they started to allow even um, fans. Some fans got to go. Um, and even some loved ones. Now, the structure of this environment is in a performance center. I don't know if you're aware, Matt, that WWE has a multi-million dollar performance center in Florida. Great. I mean, you're a um, strength and conditioning junkie. Um, if you ever have a chance just to go, it's it's just – it's probably your, your Disneyland um, for everything strength and conditioning. <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic facility. And basically, they have a part of the facility that's for shows. So the arena's blocked. Say the, it looks like an arena, a small one. Um, so in the beginning, they didn't have any fans. They started having fans. And then a COVID break happened. And so you had um, different kind of fans um, 
performance center um, trainees test positive for COVID. And that's when they had to put had all their um, trainees wear masks because they want trainees to be there to have some kind of noise as fans, um, to mm. be standing as fans. So now when watching the show, you're seeing all these wrestlers you watch every week. Sometimes you see them there. Sometimes you don't. You don't really know why because their testing information is not being released. So I guess my point is, is that as long as the organization is putting strict testing protocols, if somebody does test positive for COVID, you can isolate them and again, hopefully treat them and separate them from the rest of the participants of whatever sport you're doing. UFC is an awesome, is an, an awesome example of this. So when they had their events in Florida, they had a fighter named Jacare Souza, him and his two cornermen tested positive for COVID and everybody was freaking out. They, they did interact with other fighters during that fight week. But from what we know, only those three tested positive for COVID. There's been limited, I guess, in terms of the actual fighters attending the UFC bubble. So either at the UFC Apex or Fight Island in Abu Dhabi, um, there have been, I guess, no positive tests once they get there. And there's mm. strict testing protocols. So for me, as long as the organization is putting together strict protocols. Like they found out about the Lou Williams situation. He's isolated. He hasn't talked to anybody. They're testing him frequently. I'm not concerned. Um, even if he does test positive for COVID, I hope he gets better and I hope there's nothing unfortunate happens to him. But in terms of infecting the rest, uh, that's where the worry is. And I think when you have lax protocols, that's when there's trouble. When you have strict protocols, that's when you can solve this problem, as we can see with sports, other sports, that's why you see zero or limited positives is because you have those strict protocols in place. And I'll even take it a step further with, you know, football. Like, this is a multi-billion dollar industry and you can't get football together, like all the billions of dollars, and you can't have a strict testing protocol. You have J.J. Watt, Drew Brees, uh, Russell Wilson begging for safety protocols when we're in training camp, I mean, that's a disgrace. I mean, you're you're the NFL. I mean, it's one thing for college football, as Nate put it, you have in, independent entities trying to operate separately, but you're, you're the NFL. And looking at it from an NBA perspective, that's why I have full confidence in the NBA because they've proven their track record. Strict protocols, isolation, and making sure they track everybody that goes. And even with the reporters, like they have different bracelets on, um, just telling them about social distancing or them being safe to interact in certain rooms. Like they can't go into certain buildings, Matt, without their bracelet turning green. If their yeah, bracelet I'm sorry, I was going to say, oh, they, go ahead. I think their bracelets also monitor vital signs, right? Correct. To see any yeah. changes in status. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, and I guess, you yeah. know, what what I'll say, and I, I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, no, go ahead. I, I think the the NBA uniquely was my concern for handling this virus just because of the nature of the virus and how it spreads. If we're indoors, which NBA is always indoors, um, and if we're we're breathing hard. So, like, that's why things like singing in a church or or things like that have been really, really hampered down on it as far as legislation and restrictions and all that stuff is because that's how that's the best condition for this virus to spread. So, um, so I guess, you know, if those players truly are being monitored, like 
you can't leave that facility without someone knowing and you getting strictly tested or, or put in quarantine that, which it sounds like with this bracelet technology, um, we're probably good to go. Uh, but you know, my concern would be something like this happens with Lou Williams, but it wasn't something this was tied to him getting permission to leave. So it's, so I don't want to imply that Lou Williams like snuck out it's just he did an extra thing once he was out with approval. Yeah. Um, if if someone sneaks out and they don't know about it, then you could that's where you could see like an entire team bench potentially getting coronavirus if if that were to happen. Now they do have, of course, the daily testing going on no matter what. Uh, so even even if you have been following all the rules, you know, hopefully that would catch. Uh, that that would be uh, you know a backup safety net to catch this so to speak, um, but but it sounds like um, you know from from what I hear you saying about the bracelets and everything. I, I mean, it sounds like these guys truly are being monitored, like maybe security guards at at gates and stuff, and not letting people out uh, without permission, which is interesting. Yeah, I I, I just think in terms of. What the NBA has done, what Dr. Anthony Fauci has endorsed with the bubble, in my humble opinion, I feel very comfortable with the, the, what the NBA is doing. And so I think that the thing is, it's not so much if somebody gets COVID, is what is their spread to what you're saying, other people. That's where the concern is. So if right. you have a player that gets COVID somehow, I find out why, they, how they got COVID, who they interacted with, isolate them, and then go from there. Um, so that's why with this Lou Wave situation, I think he showed reckless judgment. Um, yeah, agreed. But at the same time, from an NBA perspective, I'm, I'm not overly concerned. But, you know, this is a highly fluid situation. Who knows? I mean, if we have a similar situation to this with another player and – they lie about their whereabouts and we, we could have a bad situation. I mean, who knows? I mean, we are, we've seen Rudy Gobert, I mean, be pretty reckless and granted we didn't know too much about the virus, but we know enough and he, he did not take that seriously. We saw what happened. So the stakes are high. So um, I may be fully confident in that, but however, you know, if there's one player that's reckless, um, their consequences could be, could be pretty bad. Yeah, and to be sure, I, I'm definitely not criticizing the NBA's guidelines and things like that that they've set in place. I mean, they've been very, very on point with those things, all the procedures they've set up and all that. Um, my concern is mostly just the nature of the virus and how it spreads makes it uniquely threatening for the NBA. In comparison, I would even say to like NFL players, like if a player has it, but they're playing in an outdoor stadium – like even if you're tackling that guy, it's much more difficult, it seems, to catch that virus based on what we know about UV light in comparison to your teammate you're sitting next to on the bench has it and it hasn't been caught. Um, you know, maybe he passed a test, the test didn't detect it, whatever. Uh, and he was out last night when he wasn't supposed to be. But if they truly are limiting um, players being able to to leave the campus and things like that, which it sounds like they are, then, you know, I mean, overall, I don't want to seem like, like a negative Nelly or anything here. It has been overwhelmingly positive. And, and like we've both said, there, there've been no positive cases on the campus so far. 
So, so I, I'm fully confident now that we are going to have a basketball season and playoffs. Just a couple of weeks ago, we weren't sure that was the case. I, I'm fully confident of that now. Yeah, me too. Um, I think as long as everything goes according to plan, I think it'll be um, smooth sailing um, as long as they just don't get comfortable. Um, just keep the pedal to the metal, foot on the gas, and um, just enforce those strict protocols till this whole thing is over. And I don't think we'll see any problems. I don't think we'll have a situation where we a player just tests positive. Um you know, and eliminates his team from the playoffs. I think if that does happen and they're in the bubble, so that's clearly a failure of the NBA's part, not the player. Um, so that's what I'm saying mm-hmm. with this Lou Williams situation. Um, if he were to come and spread it to somebody, I, I don't think, yeah, Lou Williams showed judge, reckless judgment, but that would be a failure of the NBA's part because they failed to isolate him, failed to contract trace him and fail to keep him away from teammates so and so far we haven't seen that happening so uh, again it's a fluid situation uh because he's saying something differently at the end of august who knows but as of now i think they've they've done a pretty good job agreed yeah totally agree um so moving on the nba jersey messages as you as we all know some of the messages have been um revealed to the public as to which players will be um sporting their own um social justice and causes or just uh political messages on their jerseys um and also we've seen black lives matter on the court and we've seen um of the WNBA all the players wear the brianna taylor um this name on the back of their jerseys so what is your thoughts on this? I've noticed I've watched, not to get too political, but just watching the president, whenever he mentions sports, you know, the NBA is not mentioned. You know, he mentions, this, uh, you know, M- you know, the baseball, uh, football, um, other sports, but never the NBA. And mm-hmm. this is probably the reason why. Um, do you think just playing kind of devil's advocate, um, just having these messages on there? Uh, myself uh, agreeing with these messages and being uh, supportive, just except with the China situation, which I think we both agree on. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think we, with this going on, do you think it could turn people off? Uh, separate from the the China situation, just as a viewer, um, you're looking, like, especially now where you're looking to escape, get some entertainment, and here we see uh, political messages. Um, what do you think of seeing us on, on the floor and on the players' jerseys? You know, I, I think it's complicated. Um, and I, I feel that even, even yesterday watching scrimmages and seeing black lives matter across the court. And, um, and again, you, you, as the listener, if, um, if you don't believe me, you can go back and listen on other episodes where I think the NBA has a right to operate as a business. However, they see fit, whatever message they want to put on that court. Um, and I, I am happy that these players can express themselves and express their views. Um, but I do see all the messages going one way. So I, so I guess I don't really see um, a diversity of messages, which I, I just find interesting uh, because I wonder if, if there were different messages, you know, what, what would the reaction be? What would the, fallout B, those types of things are questions that I kind of ask to myself as I'm seeing these messages on the court. Um, 
So, so I don't have a problem with it necessarily. I think there is going to be some fallout, some loss of viewership, but honestly, um, probably from people who weren't diehard NBA fans to begin with, you may lose uh, some, some casual fans, but I, I don't, I honestly think people are so happy sports are back that the, the kind of aggressive antagonistic reactions to this stuff is a little bit overblown on social media. It's people blowing off steam, blowing off frustration. I don't think it will translate to financial impact on the league or, or views uh, as much as it might seem if you scroll a social media feed. Uh, So I, I was wondering your thoughts on, on this same thing. I mean, we've, you know, you and I talked about, you know, one of the things that that I wanted messaging to do is to have a purpose. And, and you and I talked maybe a month, maybe a month and a half ago at this point about, you know, this this messaging have a goal. And we've seen so. So basically, I don't want to feel like as a fan and now maybe depending on the fan, maybe you should feel this way. I don't know. I don't know individuals. I'm not going to speak for anyone. Um, but, you know, we all, to a certain extent, don't want to feel preached to. You and I talked about things like quali- qualitative immunity um, and police unions, things like that. We kind of saw that initially get some traction in legislation. And, and I'll get to a point here. I don't want to go too deep into politics um, we saw this all kind of, you know, there's a big deal about this and then it just sputtered out in the house and yet this messaging is continuing. So, so I guess I'm wondering kind of more specifically, and, and maybe you have more insight into this than I do. Do you think that this messaging feels to you as a fan and someone interested in the cause, do you feel like this messaging feels cheap and pandering or do you think this is something that can really lead to productive change i think with the combination of the jerseys in the court and players talking about it um in the post-game press conferences like lebron made it a point to discuss brianna taylor throughout his entire press conference um, I've, I forgot which anchor it was. Um, I think it might have been Malika Andrews again, or Chris Haynes, or I think it, Rachel, um, um, the host of the Jump. Um, she, 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 I think, one of those three that said that when they're asking uh, LeBron questions, he went back to social injustice always. So I think it's going to be interesting with these players as this as this goes on and when, you know, if LeBron James is fortunate enough to win the NBA title or whoever wins the championship, um, that that's going to be a huge platform, um, for them to, um, keep the, the pressure on and what's going on. So I think the players overall, from what I've seen, um, they are not letting this go. Um, and that includes, um, their interviews with the media. So I don't think it's a just a pandering thing. I think this is something the league is passionate about. And one thing that I think we've learned, even through Kevin, Gar- uh, sorry, not Kevin Garnett, Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie Irving, um, 
so many other players that showed uh, kind of disinterest in the bubble situation just because of the um, social unrest in this country is that even the ones, even the players that were for the bubble all agree that they want some kind of um, proactive social justice um, reform to be done immediately. Um, everybody can agree on that. It's just how to fulfill that goal. So you have these players in both the WNBA and the NBA being pretty proactive. So that tells me that this is not just some charity thing. This is not, um, with all due respect, um, you know, if you compare it to something like breast cancer, right? Uh, breast cancer awareness. Mm. There's there's a focus on it for one month, and then it's over. Um, instead, this, you know, breast cancer is around all the time, 12 months a year. I mean, that, that um, the sign for breast cancer awareness, that should be around all the time. <laughs> there should be, you know, pink that should be a part of the player's uniform all the time. I mean, this is not a thing where, you know, that like the coronavirus, cancer just doesn't take a month off. It happens all the time. So I think when you get into these causes, these players in particularly, I think compared to other causes before where there's a lot of discussion and then people forget about it and move on to the next thing, these players have not. So um, moving forward, I think as we get deeper and deeper into the playoffs – and the stake and the stakes get higher. Um, and if we see the ratings go up, I think it's going to be very curious to see what players say about this um, and coaches. And um, it's it's a bummer that we honestly don't see the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs. It's, it's from my personal <laughs> views, just because of Steve Kerr, he's so passionate. Um, and as well as Pop, this goes for Popovich too. Um, so pa- passionate about these issues that I can see them just talking refusing to talk about the game and <laughs> just um just talking about this mm-hmm. type of stuff um so overall i don't think it's gonna be pandering i think this is something that the players of both leagues WNBA and the nba are extremely passionate about and um they are not gonna let this go and i think we've seen it even with the media and that's another question too uh, with tnt in particular we've seen their show the arena um but had, i think it's carrie champion charles barkley um, Draymond Green and I think Dwayne Wade. Um, the shows primarily focus on you know political issues, um, and that's I think I want to ask that question to you. Um, I think we can all say that, that from what I watch of that show, their views lean left, um, mm. and so I would say Charles Barkley is the only one that's more I would say moderate. But he's still left. He's more left leaning, but he's still moderate. Mm-hmm. He's, but overall, do you see a problem in TNT? You know, a network that's affiliated with the NBA having a show that is leaning one way, particularly. I mean, it, just playing, you know, devil's advocate. Even though I, I agree with those views, I'm, I'm aligning with what they think. At the same mm-hmm. time, um, just having a person that you know, if you're in the NBA. And if you're black and if you have opposing views and if you support Trump or if you're a conservative, I mean, you're you're probably going to be vilified um, for that. But so do you have a huge problem um, now with kind of networks and shows um, leaning in a particular way that's aligned with the NBA? No, you know, and I personally, I do not. And even though like some of my views may lean different, even than yours, even, even though we're very close friends, um, that 
that doesn't matter. We can <laughs> see differently about things and be friends. Absolutely. In my sure. opinion, that's the way things should be across the country is we should be able to have civil discussion. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the beauty of capitalism in, in some ways is if those shows, you know, fail to get views or if they damage the brand, you better believe, I mean, even though everyone around there may agree with those causes and those viewpoints, you better believe they're going to change things up or eliminate shows or whatever to make sure that they're getting an audience. And I guess, you know, we're kind of alluding to the same thing, you know, I've, in, in speaking about no diversity of opinion on these these jerseys, you know, I, I don't think the messages are all or I, I don't think the messages on the jerseys currently are, are bad at all. Um, in fact, the, the jerseys that I've read are much more tame than than I thought they might be um, heading into when we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I, I kind of wonder the same thing that you mentioned here, like say somebody was was a big pro-life advocate. You know, this, this sure, is sure. totally different than than anything that we're talking about here. But but it is a view that tends to lean more conservative. I mean, how would that player be treated? I mean, in my opinion, I would want that player to be able to express their opinions. And, and so that, I guess, is my overall concern here is that, you know, if if we had a different message on the court, um would would things be a lot different or would that message not even be considered? And is that is that something that the NBA wants is to think like, well, you as our fans, we are only promoting this viewpoint here or this cause here. Um, I think with the NBA being 80 percent black, I believe, is the is the number there. It totally makes sense that they would lean towards a movement called Black Lives Matter. I mean, that that does not take a lot of math to figure out a correlation there or, you know, a probability that that's going to matter to these players. I think it makes total sense. I do take pause for the NBA as a league, and, and that, that's part of the reason I talk about, like, targets with this movement and goals is because I'm not sure – it's great for the health of the league 20 years down the road if, if we still have this message on the court. And I, of course, hope as a society that for no matter your race, no matter your background, I hope we no longer feel the need to have a message like that on the court. I, I hope it feels understood no matter what race you are, no matter what your background is. I hope that is something that that we can evolve to because I think no matter your political opinion, no matter how you differ, it is a problem in society if one race feels that they don't matter or that they are disproportionately treated compared to other races. Um, so that is definitely something that I think hopefully no matter where we are on the political spectrum that we can agree that we need to solve. And so I do think that's a positive about the conversation is that like you and I are having this conversation, people um, all over, hopefully friends are, are having conversations like these, you know, maybe Twitter and Facebook, not the best places to have them, but, no. but at least people <laughs> are thinking. Um, so, so I think, you know, I, I don't want there to be this, this like endless um, 
endless thing. Um, like, like I would push back on some of, and, and I have praised LeBron on here before. I would push back on the notion that there's been like no progress at all in this country on things, which is something that LeBron has said. But I'm also glad that he's saying it because I think we need the freedom of these ideas and being able to talk this out in in a public forum, in a media forum, everywhere to figure out where we are and figure out where we need to progress. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think we've seen in the NBA just with LeBron's in a leadership position. So um Younger players are going to take his lead, just like we've seen younger players take Kobe's lead. The same thing is going to is happening with LeBron, and so him having these opinions, even you might disagree with them, um, and see them not damage his brand because he's LeBron James, um, it will give other players, I think, the uh, freedom and, and just the comfort level to um, really speak on different political causes that they may have and not worry about it affecting their bank account. I mean, that's, that's the main thing that they're concerned um, is whatever they say might, might, you know, anger their fans or anger their sponsors. Um, and I think we've seen with LeBron him being very measured. Um, but I think to your point, Matt, you know, if we see a player that I don't know, that's super popular, who knows with Zion or whoever have kind of an opposite view um, of certain things, how how is that going to look from a league perspective? I mean, we've seen it already with the WNBA owner, right, um, of the Atlanta Dream, um, mm. just with her opposite views and the league basically wanting her to be, you know, to not own the team anymore. Um, mm. So if we have, you know, a Zion or a Giannis or whoever you think of and they have, you know, opposite political views, are they going to be canceled? Are we going to be looking for them to be out, you know, don't ever play in the league again? Um, so I, I'm looking forward to see a player with opposite views of the majority of the league. What happens then? Because it's kind of it's easy kind of when when you're kind of in a position like LeBron where, you know, I think a lot of Americans agree with this viewpoint. Um, I think what happens when you have an opposing view that's not being dismissive of other people, but you may disagree. What happens then? Like you're saying with this, with the pro-life issue, right? Like what, what happens, what happens with that? Um, so I think that's that slippery slope with China that we were discussing. Um, it's just kind of Pandora's box that's been open. Um, and as seeing black lives matter on the court, um, I think we've seen the NBA kind of already do different stuff with their um, clothes. Like they'll have, you know, one month will be about just um, environmentally friendly, you know, saving the planet. Um, one month will be all about Hispanic heritage. One month will be about it'll be Pride Month in the NBA. So and under warm ups, I don't know if you've noticed that. Like you'll see mm -hmm. their their warm up jerseys kind of change depending on the month and theme. Um, and we've seen the one month be Chinese New Year, which is my personally my favorite jerseys. Um, I just think they look so cool. But yeah, those are cool. I uh, but I just think you know through these different causes, if there's a cause that doesn't align with the NBA. What, what happens then? It's a, it's a lot of questions that um, I think it's going to be interesting if it, we see other players have those opposing views because they may not be comfortable speaking up because they may, they, they may be villainized. I think this whole thing about speaking out, it's kind of comfortable for players that align with a certain viewpoint. They feel comfortable speaking out now, but if you have an opposite viewpoint and you're a person of color, 
you probably don't feel that comfortable right now. Yeah, I mean, look at look at the uh, controversy we talked about last week with James Harden and his face mask that exactly uh, we honestly we both agree wasn't intended to be a political sta- statement, um, but just the idea that it was kind of a, a counter message or something like that drew outrage on Twitter. So we know, I mean, by default, there's going to be outrage on social media if that different opinion comes. I think. My my question also to add to what you were just saying, and, and I totally agree with, with everything you were just saying there. My other question would be, does the NBA even allow that counter viewpoint to go to make it to the court? Or do they tell that player, no, I'm sorry, you know, the, this is the business rules because they, they can dictate they can dictate what they want the messages to say for sure. They can. Uh, so are players going to be silenced and then. If players are silenced, it, it kind of rubs me the wrong way anyway that, um, you know, you're you're not really giving everyone freedom of speech. You're just giving one side freedom of speech. And again, I, I don't have a problem with that in terms of how you operate as a business, but it, it makes me think that maybe you are more along the lines of just pandering. Um, if, if that scenario was to play out, I'm not, I'm not saying that necessarily right now as, as things stand in the NBA. So it's going to be very interesting. And, and I think, you know, that's something that the NBA needs to explore further and, and discuss further in their meetings is do they really want to be a league that is constantly driving political narratives or is this like a one-time thing because of all the, many horrible events, unfortunately, that have happened over 2020. Is this a one-time thing? Is this a unique to this year, this season type of thing? I think the answer to that is yes. But um, but I also think the players this year realize their social impact that they're having on their own platforms. And so, so I'm curious to see if that momentum carries into other years. Of course, only time will tell. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting challenge for Adam Silver, who's known to be very uh, on top of things and so far has avoided a lot of different uh, controversies. And now, you know, this is probably the most challenging year of his, you know, entire NBA career, just considering the China crisis, um, the coronavirus, um, and just everything going on with the with the bubble and everything it's it, it's been very challenging and i, I don't see um uh, this going away so i think it's going to be as long as he's commissioner and probably for the next commissioner um this is always going to be an issue for sure yeah yeah agreed did we have any other topics you wanted to cover today um i don't think so man i think that uh wraps up the show um i think we can uh, get to the uh kyle uh, haywood interview yeah, sounds great. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay tuned for Kyle. He, he was a great interview. Very fun talking with him. As always, if you have any feedback, comments, opinions, please send them triple-double-podcast uh, at gmail.com. You can link up with us on Twitter. Our handle is at triple-double-podcast. You can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram to check out the podcast. And as you already know, if you're listening to this, listen to us anywhere that you are listening to podcasts, like, share, subscribe. We appreciate you guys very much. Thank you for listening.
Yeah, thank you very much. We appreciate um, all of your support. Um, just stay tuned for Kyle Haywood, and we will see you next week. Peace. Peace. Now we welcome Kyle Haywood of the WNBA podcast. Um, this is a great show just to get um, all your WNBA news, and especially now with the kind of the circumstances we're in. Um, the show does a great job and just um, filling you in with just the players to watch um, and just a recap of everything going on in the league. Thanks for joining us, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me on. So, Kyle, um, I wanted to ask you, when the pandemic first happened, what thoughts ran through your mind regarding the WNBA season? Um, I realize that's kind of on the bottom in terms of the <laughs> pandemic, but just it kind of, you know, applying it to the actual league. Did you think we'd be in this position in close to August and we're seeing games now happening? Um, you know, it, when, when everything started, obviously there's a lot – uh, of other things going on in your mind, but when I could isolate, you know, the WNBA and women's basketball in particular, uh, one thing that I I felt a little bit bummed about was I felt like women's basketball had a lot of momentum. You know, I think with uh, uh, with Sabrina Ionescu and everything that she was doing in the college game and setting records left and right there, um, and it just seemed like there was a lot of a lot of momentum moving forward with the with the game. And as unfortunate as it was, I think that um, even co- the the accident involving Kobe and Gigi, I think, shined the light on on women's basketball in particular. And so uh, to not have a season, um, you know, or potentially not have a season was was a little bit uh, kind of a, a downer. But obviously, you know, we safety first for everybody. Um, and so as as we've kind of come into the bubble, that's really where it started to just this last weekend as as games have gotten started up, it's starting to feel real again and it starts to in, infuse a little bit of normalcy back into our lives and uh um even though it's a unique situation it's it's good to have uh hoops back on hoops back on TV what is your overall thought of the bubble? Um, we, we've heard information from the the NBA in terms of what they've gone through following this the the WNBA like closely as you have. Um, we know that the men's game they were not happy about their the food that they got and some other circumstances in terms of the quarantine. And I've seen clips of the WNBA in terms of some of the living circumstances, even though that was rectified later on. Um, have you seen things in this bubble that? either has impressed you or has concerned you just compared to the, the men's game just because we're in this kind of unusual circumstance. Mm. Uh, so IMG Academy, where the, the women are playing, is is a really awesome facility. And I think, uh, obviously, it's you're trying to find the best situation possible, and, you know, considering the circumstances. But IMG seems like a really good facility. Um, and any issues that were figured that were found early on seem to have been resolved. Um, and and it sounds kind of odd to bring up, but I think that the the women's game they're kind of used to uh, you know oftentimes playing in not the best circumstances. You know, um, Candace Parker brought up that after they won the WNBA championship, they flew coach back to LA after they won in Minnesota, you know, like they, these are, these are tall athletes that fly coach back and forth and have dealt with that. They don't, they don't get the first class in the private uh, uh, jet, you know, uh, treatment. And so I think some of that 
has maybe helped some of those experiences have helped these women as they've adjusted to, you know, not ideal circumstances that they're saying, Hey, this is what we, we do this. We're okay with this. Um, not that we're okay with it. Obviously they, they want to keep, uh, you know, having better and better, um, opportunities for the league moving forward. But overall, I think that, you know, they were able to hop in and really get, uh, get comfortable quickly. Uh, there's a, there's a real camaraderie that comes, uh, uh, not just across teams, but throughout the entire league. Um, it kind of seems like this weird mix of, you know, team camp slash summer camp slash training camp slash college dorms. Yeah, it just kind of is this this weird mix of everything. And I think overall, at least the players that we've had contact with and and whatnot have ha- seemed to be um, adjusting pretty well to the bubble. Now, again, it's still fresh. We'll see where things are in a few weeks. But as for now, it seems to to be going pretty well. Kyle, I wanted to ask, when the bubble was developed, was that developed in conjunction with what the NBA was doing? I mean, I understand they're, they're at different locations, of course. Um, were they working in conjunction with each other to develop their guidelines? Um, are the guidelines, as far as like quarantine and those types of things, are they the same for the women's league right now? Um, could you just highlight some of the similarities or maybe differences that there are there? Uh, yeah, it actually is pretty, it's pretty similar, uh, as far as the setup and the, uh, the rules and whatnot that they have going on. Um, Kathy Engelbert is the, is the commissioner of the, of the WNBA and is doing a phenomenal job. She's, she's running, uh, running the show extremely well. I mean, she just, I mean, she just barely was introduced not that long ago, and here she's given this like insane task to try and have the have the bubble, you know, take place. And I think that she's she's done a phenomenal job. I know that she's been uh, in close contact with Adam Silver, and that the NBA and WNBA have had a lot of communication back and forth as far as hey you know, what ideas do you have or what ideas do you have? And, and kind of going back and forth and trying to have a good solid plan for both of these uh, venues moving forward. And so, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of similarities, obviously location slightly different, but um, as far as rules, regulations um, and atmosphere, I think that um, you'll see a lot of similarities between the NBA and the WNBA. And have they had similar success as far as limiting the cases down as um, since the the kind of launch of the bubble or since players arriving at the bubble? Yeah, uh, they've they have regular testing to make sure that, you know, nothing has come into the facilities. There's been just a couple of players that did test positive as they were arriving that were quarantined and, uh, you know, basically sat there and then each player as they come in they kind of do a self quarantine for a few days um anyway and are able to then come in and and start to participate so there's players that are still um getting released in fact there was a player today that got released literally an hour before her team played um she was able to show up and and be there at the game um but yeah they uh that uh it's been it's it's been pretty pretty well handled, and as far as we know, there haven't been any other uh, positive cases uh, arise other than those who came from the initial testing. Matt and I have um, had this debate before, and I remember him and I talking 
last year at Summer League regarding just the WNBA's popularity and the future of the league. In your eyes, what is the, the next steps of evolving the league in terms of women's sports? Because we've, we've seen where it's clear women's sports can draw. We've seen it with Ronda Rousey in the UFC, Serena Williams, um, other clear examples. And I've seen, for, in my opinion, an an upkeep, an uptick, excuse me, in kind of social media reach with high school women's basketball players um, mm-hmm. is gaining traction without kind of mainstream attention. Um, so do you think we'll see the WNBA reach a point where we're not ha- having a conversation of women going overseas because they want higher salaries where, you know, the, the WNBA will have not only a competitive structure, but a structure of salary and status that will um, keep women's basketball um, in the States. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm glad you bring that up. It's a, it's a challenge. Um, you know, as a, you hear, you have a lot of moving parts when it comes to the WNBA. Uh, we're a young league. We're an extremely young league that, um, you know, if you look at other leagues in their first, you know, 30 years, all of them were struggling financially and and barely getting by. You know, it took the NBA really about 40 years before they started to really gain some popularity. Um, and so that being the case, I think that the WNBA is actually a little ahead of the curve as far as its development as a league. Um, as far as next steps, I really think one of the biggest steps that has happened recently was the collective bargaining agreement that was just reached um, just just a couple months ago where there was an increase in player salaries across the board. There was uh, more guarantees as far as their health and as far as their, um, you know, travel concerns and, and different things like that. It was a big, it was a big jump forward. And I think that seeing the WNBA invest in their players will pay dividends moving forward. I'll give you an example. Uh, Brianna Stewart, won the 2018 MVP and led her team to a championship. Uh, You know, she was basically as big as it was in basketball. Uh, She currently, as she did that, was making less money than I make. And that's not to brag. I don't make a lot of money. (laughs) It's more of a comment that here she is, you know, arguably the greatest basketball, women's basketball player in the world and, you know, wasn't getting paid. So she went overseas to go play. Uh, and as she was overseas, she tore her Achilles uh, in overseas play and then missed an enti- the entire next season. Uh, instead of playing for the Seattle Storm, she was in rehab uh, and getting you know surgeries and, and getting things corrected that way. And I think that you know a lot of these women, there is no off season. A lot of your Diana Taurasi's, your Brittany Griner's, your Courtney Vandersloot's, they're playing year round. As soon as WNBA wraps up, they fly off to you know russia or turkey or china or all over the globe to go play in other leagues because they get paid a lot better there um and that's how they really make their money and you know the the WNBA, while competitive wise is probably higher the pays lower so it's almost like a side hustle for a lot of these players and uh and i think again that collective bargaining agreement is kind of that next step forward um, but from there, honestly, just getting eyes on the product um, for uh, I'm I'm actually, you know, not a, a 20 year veteran of watching this league. We've been our show's only been around for about three or four seasons now. 
Um, but what changed our pers- our perspective and and getting us into the league was just watching games. Uh, these players are that good that the basketball is that good. It's not watching. Oh, they're good for being women. They're great. They're phenomenal basketball players regardless. Um, and I think, in my opinion, you know, I watch a lot of college hoops. I watch the NBA. I watch the WNBA. In my opinion, it's the most fun brand of basketball to watch. Um, and uh, and that's why it, we got so hooked so fast, just because we simply watched the game. And so I think getting eyes on the product is is huge. And so getting more of these nationally tele nationally televised games like we're having this weekend uh, will do wonders for the league moving forward. I have a follow-up to that. Um, yeah. The league has been on ESPN for quite a while now. I remember uh, when the league was first introduced, it was on NBC. Um, in my mind, I've told Matt this. I think ESPN has done, I don't know, this is my opinion, have done a, a poor job promoting the league compared to other um, leagues and sports. Um, I, I just remember before the before ESPN had to deal with the UFC, they were still promoting their events, even though they weren't on their network, compared to the WNBA, where they would show a highlight. There'd be no analysis, um, no really lack, a little promotion, um, even compared to the NBA, where there's pregame shows, postgame shows, um, just the reporters they send there. I get it that, you know, in terms of ratings and everything, but if they really want to make this league a success, um, I just feel like they've always kind of downplayed the league. And maybe this is just thinking in my own mind, even when they're kind of going over the highlights, I just don't hear the same enthusiasm compared to, you know, a anchor on SportsCenter recapping a NBA game. Um, Mm. So overall, how do you feel about the coverage on ESPN? Am I overreacting or do you think they should consider another broadcast partner? Um, no, I, I think that the majority of WNBA fans are right along with you. I think that a lot of us feel the same way. Um, there's times that, you know, they'll reveal the WNBA lottery and they'll say, oh, it's during this hour of Sports Center. We're going to have the WNBA, you know, draft lottery. And it's literally like you'll go and go and 55 minutes into the hour, there's not even been a mention of it happening. And then the last couple minutes, all of a sudden you see someone there and they're literally doing like a finger drum roll on their desk and saying, <laughs> and it's the Las Vegas aces. Congratulations. And they flip over to the Las Vegas aces coach and says, what do you think? And he said, Oh, great. So cool. Sounds good. And they signed off and that was it. Um, you know, whereas you look at, uh, you know, there's for the NFL, there's hour long shows about fantasy football. And there's entire networks that that's all they do is break down this league. Um, And there's a a two hour, you know, build up show for the NBA draft lottery rather than the last three minutes of a sports center hour. So, yeah, uh, there's there is some of that. Uh, I'll say this. um, I think that a lot of it comes down to a lot of the people in uh, the ESPN world. They're so thrown at at so many sports it's so hard to keep track of a lot of different sports and a lot of them have been pushed into you know they'll cover the nba and oh by the way there's this WNBA piece coming up take care of that and they just they're not as knowledgeable about the sport and it's tough to bring passion into something that you don't have much prior experience or knowledge with so i think that that's a great point i think if we can get some more reporters and some more people who are heavily invested into the league working primarily with ESPN and they're the they're the specialist and they're pushing their content into you know 
ESPN, um, Fox Sports, CBS Sports, ABC, like across the across the board. I think that that's that's another way that we'll hopefully see this league moving forward. I think those are all great points, Kyle. I also think you're being very kind to ESPN. <laughs> I mean, hey. I'll just project okay. that uh, That's if true. you want to be the sports channel, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I, I think you should have some more experts highlighting uh, WNBA. But any, anyway, um, you know, another <laughs> thing. Politically correct, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But you, you're very nice. You're very nice. Um <laughs> Another thing um, I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned uh, the CBA negotiations earlier. You know, another thing that could help with growing the league that I wanted to ask you about, just just as someone who, um, you know, to be honest, just I, I have not watched the WNBA game in a long time. Unfortunately, I need to get on that. <laughs> I'll task myself with that. Um, but. Uh, Do you see in, you know, let's say by the time the next CBA comes up, do you see any potential for expansion? We know that WNBA right now, if I'm not mistaken, is 12 teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, So something, I mean, obviously just just looking at that on paper that could grow the product would be more franchises. And I do think that, you know, when I look at rosters around the WNBA league, there are a lot of names that, I, as one of the the more casual WNBA fans out there, recognize tons of those names. So, so it does seem like a deeper league to me than it has been, certainly since its inception. Uh, but even, you know, in the past 10 years, and, and you can give me your thoughts, please. Uh, but it does seem like they've built a, a lot of depth as well. Do you see a possibility, potential for the chance of expanding to maybe like 16 teams in the near future? Um, that's a great question. It's something that we discussed quite a bit, uh, you know, among us fans of the league quite a bit. Um, I think expansion is definitely an important part of any of any professional league. Um and you're completely right. This is an extremely deep league. You could honestly take and add four more expansion teams and have four very competitive teams, um, basically just of the quote-unquote leftovers that have been cut and waived from these other teams. You know, look at the amount of of women's bas- of college women's uh, players across the country, and look at you know the international players as well. And you're taking 12 teams with 12 roster spots apiece. So you're going to take the top 144 athletes is all. And it's it's tough. Every single time there's a, there's a draft, there's times that first round draft picks don't make rosters. Like that's wow. the reality of this league. It's such a wow. deep, competitive, hard league to stay in. And so when you make it, when you're, when you make the cut, you can wear That's, it's gotta be one of the most exclusive leagues and, and top tier talent leagues in the, on the entire planet because of that. Um, so I think, yeah, absolutely. Expansion is something that a lot of us would love to see. Um, that being said, I think that there are some other more pressing matters, um, that we've already covered so far, uh, that I would love to see, uh, evidence of, you know, the the collective bargaining agreement was supposed to take, you know, kick in this season, and yet 
because of the bubble and the pandemic and everything, we aren't seeing the real fruition of it, of all of it. Mm. Um, and so I think that I'd like to see another season or two of that before and make sure that, you know, that the foundation's there before we, we go out and expand more. When, when the WNBA does expand, there's going to be no lack of talent. It's not like you're watering down the talent if you expand this by four or even eight teams. There's so much talent available across the globe in women's basketball. Um, and I would love to see there's some of my, some of my favorite players to watch don't make rosters and, you know, go sign elsewhere, sign overseas. And, uh, and it's difficult. And so I think that, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think down the road, we, we'd love to see some expansions, um, you know, in, in different areas, you know, I, I think something down in like a Miami, uh, something in the Bay Area. I'd love to see a place like Toronto, where we could get, a, you know, over the border mm. up into Canada and get a get a team up there in a place that obviously has a lot of passion for basketball. Um, so yeah, I think that there's markets available. I think that there's a history of expansion in this league. There's also a history of teams folding, and so we have to look at that reality as well. Um, and that's why I want to make sure that foundation's secure before. Uh, expanding out and making sure that, that everything's ready to go. Yeah, and I think that's probably a smart answer because obviously for all of these sports leagues this year, this this is not a year of growth mm. uh, given everything that's gone on. So I, I think that's perfectly reasonable. But to your point, I mean, I, I see it as well, even on the high school level here in New Mexico. I mean, for my day job, I, I'm a strength and conditioning coach and and I have worked with um, women's basketball athletes, high school athletes, there is interest there and there are eyes on the game, even though it, it may not be promoted by, by media, et cetera, stuff that we've talked about. But uh, I, do, I do find it frustrating, especially when you mentioned that uh, you know, U.S. women's basketball is, is kind of the side hustle in comparison mm-hmm. to, you know, Europe and, and other parts of the world. It just seems that, uh, you know, we'd want to try and keep basketball here <laughs> as much as, as we could with the tradition in this country. Yeah, absolutely. That's and that's a frustrating part is that these players go make their money elsewhere and then come back and they play here for the passion. They play here because this is home and this is where they want to grow this league. And I think that a lot of them feel very passionate about the WNBA. Um, and they play here not for the money. They play here because they love it. Um, and finding that type of passion is another thing that, to be honest, it shows on the court. You see it come out in the product. And that's why, again, uh, I, I'm not taking anything away from other you know, basketball leagues or, you know, college basketball, anything like that. I really do feel the WNBA is the best product because of the passion that these women play with, the skill level that's there. And uh, it's just such a, it's such a fun, and right now is the perfect time for anybody to get into the league. Because like we said, it's only 12 teams. It's like, it's like following a college conference, right? It's a 12 team conference. Um, and so you can get in and you, you can learn each team and the kind of their identity and some of the best players um, and, and, and who these, you know, who, what personalities you like. There's so many awesome personalities in this league that are very vocal and very out there and on social media and interactive with their fans. It's, it's an absolute blast to be a part of. 
So um, I wanted to ask you just a couple more questions if you if you have some time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's so much I wanted to pick your brain. And one of the things that we, Matt and I have discussed is these the social um, justice, um, this protest that athletes have done ever since sports has resumed. We've seen it everywhere, um, especially with the NBA. And I saw it when I was watching um, some WNBA, WNBA games yesterday, um, particularly with uh, Breonna Taylor. Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts with these protests? And I guess your overall thoughts of kind of, we've seen a lot of players, Candace Parker, um, other players speak out on their platforms. Maya Moore um, just sat out a season for her um, social um, justice reform of, of a um, inmate that she, successfully she was able to uh, get freed out of prison. Um, just in, in your mind, do you think these are endeavors that the players um, should be focusing on? Um, or are you in the camp of you know keeping sports and politics separate? Uh, that's a great question. I think it's something that a lot of people are asking each other and asking asking ourselves. I think that to take uh, anyone in any uh, career and tell them that they can't express themselves um, is a is a little bit um, is a little bit of a rough ask. I think that. Just and you brought it up, Maya Moore. She's literally at the peak of her career. She is. She's right at this apex of everything that she can accomplish in basketball. Steps away for two seasons to help a friend of hers who was wrongly convicted and is now, like, fortunately now free and was a. She was able to bring light to the fact that uh, that the trial was. Um, you know that his trial they had to dismiss his trial because of things that had gone on um, and she was able to go in and and see that hey this what happened here was wrong and the guy was in there for you know I think 20 years and is do you think I, I, I don't know if you if you were to ask Maya Moore hey was it worth it to leave your career at the peak to go I, I think that 10 times out of 10 she's saying absolutely it's a no-brainer and I think that for these women to uh, to have their voices heard um, is is essential. I I love the fact that they are standing up for things that they believe in, um, whether it's you know Breonna Taylor, whether it's the LGBTQ community, um, whatever it is, they all have things that they're passionate about, and I love that they're using platforms to. Yeah, uh, you know, to to bring attention to those those things that they feel strongly about. Um, obviously, and going back to ESPN coverage, <laughs> there was a tweet that ESPN sent out uh, yesterday, I guess mm. on the tw- on the twenty fifth, that was worded that the and WNBA players left the court during the national anthem, that the anthem started playing, and that they walked off the court. I saw that tweet. Yep, which is incorrect. Hmm. Which wasn't correct, and. It had millions and millions of views, and even our podcast, WNBA Nation, which we're not the official, we're not an official WNBA, you know, sanctioned podcast. Even our podcast was getting tagged by people all over Twitter saying, "Hey, like, you know, boycott all the, all these things because of this thing," which that never actually happened. What had happened is prior to you know, prior to the national anthem and everything, the players walked off the court and remained in their locker rooms 
during the national anthem and then came out and had a moment of silence um, in honor and in bringing attention to the Breonna, Breonna Taylor situation. And so ESPN then made a correctional tweet uh, just a few hours ago saying, oh, <laughs> by the way, this video that all of that we had millions of people have seen in this tweet that we've put out almost 24 hours ago, we found out that they didn't walk out during the anthem. It was that, that they just remained in their locker rooms during it. And I just think like that kind of thing is just that's that kind of stuff is what really bothers me uh, as a as a consumer of of meat of sports media is when something like that that could can be construed and and you know damaging a league I think is is ridiculous and for them to have, take almost 24 hours to to make a correctional uh, tweet about it I was extremely frustrated um, with that. Um, but yeah, going back to your original question, I think that it's I, I appreciate that in my uh, in my life, nobody's telling me to not share my opinion. And just because, you know, if I happen to be a professional athlete, um, you know, nobody, nobody. First of all, nobody would have me as a professional athlete. But if I was, I would still want to be able to express my opinions and to share things that I'm passionate about. And I think that uh, I think that it's it's something that uh i i have zero issue with with anything that's going on yeah i i completely agree with you uh we can't have you on kyle without just previewing the season a little bit i know your uh podcast did at the season preview breaking things down but you just give us a taste kind of for new fans who maybe you know following the league for the first time because of the circumstances a lot more time to stay at home um which are players to look look out for uh what are some of the teams to look out for um you mentioned that brianna stewart making her return um what are the rivalries in teams to kind of pay attention to this season great question um so right now is a phenomenal time to get into the league uh there's basketball on essentially every day of the week except for Mondays. I think they've basically given them Mondays off. <laughs> but every other day, there's, you know, two, three games on every single day. And so any, regardless of when you have availability, you can hop on. Um, if, if someone's looking to start watching the league, a lot of these are nationally broadcast. You're going to see a lot of games on ESPN2, a couple on ESPN. We've had two on ABC this weekend alone. And uh, so you'll be able to see them. And so just hop on, just Go in and, and start by watching a quarter. Um, but if you want to get into it more, the league pass is only 17 bucks. It's super cheap. It's very affordable. It's a chance to support the league. So the, the, that's how you can get in and watch it. Um, if I were to give recommendations for like teams and players to, to watch for, Seattle, the Seattle Storm um, were the best team in 2018. And then... Last year, we're missing their two, probably, arguably their two best players were out for the season due to injury. Those players are back now. It's Sue Bird and, Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart. Um, that's a fun team to watch. And they, uh, you know, by the majority of people who cover the league are far and away the favorites to win it this year. Um, in addition to that, Los Angeles has a great squad. Um, you're going to see good things come out of Las Vegas and uh, Chicago. Uh, 
Phoenix has a, a really fun team. Uh, they've got Diana Taurasi, who's kind of been the face of the league for a long time. Uh, Brittany Griner, who all of us remember when she played at Baylor. And so if you want to check out what she's been up to for the last several seasons, she's still dominant. She's still a great interior presence. Check her out. Um, a couple of, of fun personalities. Um, Asia Wilson, who plays for Las Vegas, is one of the most likable, like, public figures that I've ever come across in my life. Uh, and she's, uh, she, this is her third season in the league. She, I think that she's primed for an MVP um, type season. And I could see her, uh, in fact, she was my pick for MVP uh, in our preseason show. Um, as far as rookies go, you've got several that have come in that are going to make immediate impacts. Obviously I mentioned earlier, uh, Sabrina Ionescu uh, out of Oregon who set, and in fact, set by a long ways, I think she doubled uh, more than doubled the amount of triple doubles by any college player, men's or women's. Um, she's the only player in men's or women's uh, college hoops to have 2000 points, 1000 rebounds and 1000 assists across her career. Um, she is uh, she's someone who's carrying that banner of and if you like that player that comes in, you know, just like has her game face on all the time and is going to go out and regardless of if she's shooting well or her shots off that night is going to put in solid quality minutes and, and not stop fighting until whether they're up 20 down 20 tie game. She's she's uh, just a she's just a bulldog on the court, just constantly just that high energy, high effort type player. She's a blast to watch. Um, so yeah, that that's some of the, that's some of the uh, teams and players. I just, you know, kind of briefly that that I would take a look at. Um, uh, Chicago is the team that my I have a five-year-old daughter, and she's obsessed with uh, the Chicago Sky. Her favorite player is Courtney Vandersloot, who is just uh, just probably one of the best floor generals I've ever seen. She sets. It seems like every season she's setting the record for uh, you know assists per game um in the league and and is just a blast to watch so it, it's the, the league is is just a perfect perfect storm right now for anybody who's looking to get into and, and kind of get introduced uh into these players and teams this is the time to do it uh it's available it's coming literally every day except mondays you have a chance to check it out so uh so yeah Kyle, very um, thank you very much for joining us. I misspoke earlier. You're the host of the WNBA Nation podcast. I apologize for that. Oh, no problem. Can, yeah. Can you kind of um, just uh, get us up to speed on how we can catch the podcast, how many times you put it out, um, and anything else you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the best way to get in contact with us is is to follow us on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. Uh, it's at WNBA Nation Pod. Uh, you're each, if you search WNBA, we're one of the first results that'll come up uh, in the search. Uh, but uh, you can listen to our show basically anywhere that podcasts are found. If you happen to find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, we'd love a you know check us out, see what you think, uh, you know give us a rating on there uh, and subscribe. Um, we we love it. We're we're really available wherever you can find us. But Twitter is the best place to find and interact with us. Uh, any of uh, your listeners who are looking to who maybe want to liaison into the WNBA and want to want to pick it up, uh, you know, hit us up, send us a tweet, and and we'll give you the full rundown and help you pick out what teams and players to follow. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of our big thing. We put out shows. 
um, in the off season, we were putting out shows about once a week, sometimes every other week if it was kind of slow news. Um, we'll be putting out shows multiple times a week because we're right in the throes of, you know, there's going to be these teams are playing every other day basically. And so we're going to be, we're going to be putting out a lot of content trying to cover as much of the league as possible uh, during this bubble and shortened seasoned. So, uh, so yeah. Awesome. Kyle. Uh, thank you very much. I know we kept you over time, but that was really informative. Thank you again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah anytime. You, anytime. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Matt. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch you guys uh, on, uh, on some WNBA content soon. For sure. No doubt. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, guys.